Well, good morning. Again, I want to thank you guys. Uh, a lot of you have responded over the last week to the uh, to that small little survey that's on the app uh, about Saturday nights. You've given us a good look at what um, where you guys are at with that and what you might think. If you haven't done that, we'd still love to receive that information from you. But it's um, we're uh, looking at launching that Saturday night service, and so we're asking, hey, if you be, are you thinking about maybe showing up at that evening service at a five o'clock, and or you have neighbors or friends or family members who you know might be interested in coming and the last simple question was would you be even willing to share uh, to serve and what the cool thing is there have been a, a handful of you guys who've been willing to say no I'm not going to come to Saturday night um, no I don't know anybody who'd want to come but yeah, I'll serve. And that's huge because uh, serving our children's ministry and being available for that, for those kids who are coming at that time is a big deal. But it is a sacrifice for those of you who are going to be willing to serve that uh, Saturday and then still show up on Sunday for church. Thank you guys. For those of you who are interested, we'll be getting a hold of you. God bless you guys. And I just want to open this time in prayer, just asking God to bless the opportunity that's there and uh, that he would just fill the rest of those serving opportunities and um, see it as an outreach to our community. So let's go ahead and pray together. Father, uh, thank you for this, um, this day. Thank you for just the worship we've had, just the announcements we've gotten to hear, and also for the opportunities that are coming with the Saturday service. Would you help us to just be able to fill those slots that are necessary to be filled still? Would you allow us opportunities to connect with neighbors, friends, family, and others that um, they might find this as an as a opportune time to, hey, get to know you better and to connect with you? And we uh, just want to have this as just a time of celebration and thanks for what you are doing. And we just, um, we look forward to where you're taking all of this in Jesus name. Amen. And we've been doing this series called Labeled, and here today we're coming to the final ending of that series. Uh, as we close out series, it makes you a bit reflective, and you sit back and you think. And for me, the thing that I landed on and really thought about was, strangely, going back to the year my mother died. My daughter just turned 13 this week, so woohoo! I'm excited. I'm a parent of a teenager. Um, we're going to have some awesome stories. And so, I'm just kidding, Adeline. She's in the room. And so I want to... Um, I, it was just cool seeing her, seeing who she's become, and, but then making me think back to um, you know my other kids and the fact that my son Andrew was uh, wasn't born yet when my mom had died uh, made me reflect through that time period and so I started remembering what I did and one of the things that I got to do was with my my brother in law. We it was my first time ever backpacking. Any backpacking enthusiasts in the room? Um, you're not an enthusiast if you didn't scream. So um, the, you just like it. And so ba- backpacking is, is so fast. I was nervous because here I am. I'm taking a brand new backpack and a brand new uh, you know, sleeping bag and all this stuff. And I'm putting everything that I could possibly need to survive, to shelter myself, to eat, to keep myself safe medically. And I was shoving it in one bag that was going on my back. And then you're getting up and you're hiking off into the middle of nowhere. Now, some of you guys are going, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard of because you're a hotel people. And I get it. Some of you exist in, in the church. But I'm hiking up there and I get to, we get out. We actually drove out in the middle of the night, got up to the, the, um, the trailhead, slept at the trailhead until it was dawn. And then we, we got up and we started hiking up into the hills. And um, my, my first thinking is, this is cool. This is fun. And then I'm getting a little nervous. Like, hope there's not bears. I hope there's not mountain lions. I don't know what I would do. We don't want to have to discharge weapons. You know, kind of all this stuff. I hope there's not a California ranger who's telling me I can't leave footprints. See, whatever the, the struggle was that was going through my head, I was just traveling through getting more and more nervous. But eventually what was great about is you wind up in this pristine beauty of nature. The stars are clear. 
You can take a deep breath and, and it feels good. And there's no humans to bug you. And, and, you, and I started processing through my, mom, my grief and my mom's death. And I started thinking through some of that stuff and journaling and, and doing all these little pieces. And it was wonderful. And it was so, as an introvert, it was like, it was like electric, you know, kind of just in, pulling in energy from the surroundings. And yet about the third day we were gone, I kind of got to that place where I was like, you know, this has been fun. I'm done. I'm ready to go back to civilization. I, I'm ready to be able to have a toilet. I'm ready to have, a, have something, somewhere where I can sleep that, that I'm not going to feel like I'm, I'm getting a headache every night. You know, all of these things, I'm thinking, this is hard. Nobody wants to live their whole life wearing a backpack on their back with everything that they live. Now, some people might, but I, I don't know who they are, and it's not me. I don't want to live that way. It's great. I want to do it again. I want to do it a lot, but I don't want to live in a constant permanent state of backpacking. And yet, Something this series has shown me and something this series has opened my eyes to is that I had come to believe a lie, that I could go home. I could go home and it would just be this bed, it would be permanent, it would be this. And my daughter's 13 and she's eventually not going to be in this house. And the house I actually went home to after that backpacking trip isn't the house I live in today. And in fact, the very stuff, so a lot of the things that I owned in that other house, I don't own anymore. And a lot of the people that were in my life had are, were leaving. And he, the, the, the church was different. Everything shapes. Because here's the thing. You are always backpacking if you are alive today. Everything that you own is transient. Everything that we have is going away. Now, some of you, you're like, duh, Greg, yeah, it took you that long to figure this out. But hey, some of us need to be reawakened to the lie that the streets aren't going to stay the same. The addresses one day are going to change. That no nation lasts forever save one. And so it made me remember that everything on this earth is transient and everything on this earth is impermanent except for you. And I thought of this C.S. Lewis quote where in C.S. Lewis's writing, he says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with. Work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortals, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This doesn't mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must not be that kind, as, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And he really drives in. He says, do we take each other so seriously that we are looking at one another as immortal beings? You're going to live forever. You are going to be someone who exists forever. You're not just going to end your existence when you die. You have never met a person whose existence is going to end when they die. And this changes the way that we begin to look at our labels. Because we've been talking about is that, lab is that these labels are these things we slap on ourselves from our current situation. Yet what I've been constantly saying over and over and over is the labels that we wear are the ones are shape the lives that we live. So we're the truest ones. I want to say is live the eternal ones. You see, it's the eternal ones that are the truest. It's the eternal ones that God has given you. And they're the ones that aren't going to pass away with the rest of this world. Yeah, we're perpetually backpacking. But in the end, when we die, we're going to take off everything in this world and we're going to put it in the box. And it's going to be put away. And it's going to go away. And so 
What I want to do is challenge us. I'm talking in this last last sermon to encourage you guys to really begin to tear off those temporary labels that you and I hold to and not to allow them to possess and own you, but to begin to put your mind on those eternal ones. Keep them focused and keep them in your eyesight. Now, granted, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I've been talking to people and some, I've talked to some people in their small groups. And honestly, when you've dove into talking about the labels, I've heard some people like, yeah, I'm a sinner. You know, that's my label. Yeah, you know, I struggle here and there with stuff, but you know, I don't, I'm a rich guy, I'm a poor guy, but it's almost like we don't want to dive in and look at really what the label is underneath. Really, what is it that's affecting us from our past, from other people? We're just kind of like, some people have taken it kind of flippantly. And I think I know why. And it's because, to be honest, when you identify that, hey, I'm a sinner, let's just take that one. Ah, I'm a sinner. I think everybody in here can have that label on themselves. We go, Greg, you keep talking about all these other things, that you're a son of God, that you're the citizen of heaven, that you're a saint, that you're, you're sanctified by God. You got all these labels God has given you. Wow, really cool, Greg. But you know what? It just doesn't feel that way. Because you know what I'm experiencing every day? I'm still struggling with my mouth. I'm still struggling with my eyes. I'm still struggling with my actions. I am still a sinner. And you're telling me I'm not because the Bible says you're not? That just sounds wacky. It sounds wacky to say, ignore who you are really right now for something else that a book tells you you are. How do we handle that? How do we deal with that? And you know, we, uh, my answer is to say, well, the, well that book it, it has a broad bunch of themes. And one of those big, broad themes in the story is something called eschatology. How many of you guys ever heard that word? Just throw your hand up. Eschatology. Usually you hear about it as like studies of end times. And when it's like, oh, we're going to get into the, the rapture today. Are we going to get into like the, all, all these tribulations? And no, we're not going to tell you. That's all ancillary to the big topic of eschatology in, 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 the, in systematic theology. When we talk about this, we mean the idea of living in light of the end times. You say, ooh, that sounds really cool. It does sound cool when I say it that way, but it's not really that cool. See, you and I live in what's called an eschatological existence, meaning that we're already here having the blessings of God. You already have the kingdom of God with you. You already have the spirit of God with you. You already are saints. You already are sons and daughters of God adopted by him. You already are forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. All that is already, but it is not yet fully fulfilled. Jesus hasn't returned so that you have heard you're forgiven. Jesus hasn't returned to prove to you that you have the spirit of God. Jesus hasn't returned to inaugurate that kingdom you're a citizen of. Yeah, you have it already because God promised it to you, but it's not quite yet fully here. That is the tension of the Christian life. And so you can feel like you are poor, that you're disabled or powerless, and you can long and and struggle with these things and know that God has given you a different identity, something completely different in eternity. And he wants you to have that focus, that already but not yet focus. I find this actually in a a very interesting text. It's in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you want to grab a Bible, you can open it up there. Paul has written this letter to this church in Corinth. Now, he's written several letters to Corinth, um, and the first one that he wrote was actually uh, kind of published and we still have today. But in this case, he's writing to this church. Now, Paul's an interesting guy. Paul was, uh, was running for Jewish persecutor of the year. He, he wanted to kill the church off. He wanted to be the top number one guy in the, in the Jewish community. And so he was aiming with all of his zeal at that effort. Now, what occurs is that he, 
in fighting off the church and disbelieving that Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus appears to him, risen from the dead, knocks him down and says, why are you persecuting me? And, and Paul converts in the, in the instant, becomes the greatest promoter of the church, promoter of Jesus and his resurrection that you'll meet. And he goes about all over the place promoting Jesus. And he comes to this city called Corinth. Now, city is, now Corinth is this huge city. It's a port city. It is the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Um, seedy and, and ha- what happens in Corinth, stayed in Corinth. It, it's that kind of world. And so he comes to this town, he, he starts a church, and he's now kind of helping that church to stay on track, and he's written these letters. In the midst of this journeying that Paul has done, he's been routinely beat up and routinely thrown, and hurt, and harmed as he's promoting Jesus, as he's living for Christ, and, and he's loving Christ, and he's sharing Christ. Other people don't want to hear it, and so they're beating him up. And so now he's going to address this issue of his body and his pain and all this stuff with a very interesting eye to Jesus. And so let's look at what he says. He, he basically wants to encourage you and me. And so we're going to start right here in verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. Even though I've gone through all this suffering, all this struggling, all this stuff, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And notice what, how he starts off. He tells us, hey guys, I don't lose heart, though my, self is, my outer self is wasting away. It's being destroyed. My inner self is being renewed. And in a sense, what he's encouraging you and me to do is to don't look at your current situation as final, but look at how you're changing. He's saying, yeah, you have this current situation, but are you focused on this this mess right in front of you, the sinner that you are, the, the, the alcoholic that you continue to struggle to be, the, the, um, the, the failure that you feel like you, you're, you're buying into, the untalented, the arrogant, whatever you find yourself wrestling with. Are you so focused on that? He says, no, you, you need to see something. There's a, there's a destiny, a trajectory of your life. You're already something, but you're not yet. It's going to change. So don't, and so he starts here. Look again with me, if you will. It's right there in verse 16. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, though it may be wasting away from age, though it may be wasting away from misuse, though your outer self may be wasting away because you are exhausted and worn out from just a hard life that you've had to live. Or maybe you're just wasting away because, hey, mentally, you're wasting away. He says, look, Though our outer self is wasting away, the internal self is being renewed daily. This character of who you're becoming, this person of who you are. Sometimes we get so fixated on the outer, we forget what it's shaping us like. And sometimes it takes other people to point it out. You ever had that problem where you're sitting down with, and you're struggling or something and somebody says, wow, you struggle with that? I see you as such a strong person. You ever had that happen to you? It's happened, it's happened around my friends and stuff. And what happens is you, they go, really? I never saw that in myself. Sometimes it takes other people, like in your small group, in your communities, in your community groups, to point out the good change that has gone on in you. But really what he's saying is that is changing. You are being transformed. And there is this hope that you and I are having that is coming out. He goes on, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Did you see what he said? 
this, this light momentary affliction. Okay, well, this is a guy who doesn't get pain, right? I mean, if you have chronic pain, obviously Paul doesn't understand. There is no light momentary affliction. This is a daily, always affliction. This is a struggling point. And yet, I would guarantee you, Paul suffered with chronic pain. I can almost guarantee it. See, Paul was a not a nice guy to his own body. Paul was a guy who was so zealous for Jesus. He was so zealous for God that he ran to towns. And when he came to those towns and he preached, in one case, one of these towns literally got so angry at him, they gathered him, put him in the center of the town, grabbed a whole bunch of stones and threw them at him until he was laying dead in a pool of his own blood, basically. The disciples show up, pick him up, carry him out of town mourning. And suddenly, and I believe God did a miracle, he gets back up, looks at all the guys, and then walks right back into the town. This guy's a glutton for punishment. He's lived in jails, and jails are not nice things. They don't have nice you know, TVs and nice weights and machines. No, this was a place with, with feces and garbage, and you got a little bit of food that maybe got fed, eaten by the rats. I mean, jails are difficult, ugly, nasty locations. This is a guy who walked everywhere that he went, who found himself beaten with rods, shipwrecked, nearly drowned, this guy's gone through tons and tons and tons of suffering that you and I would be like, that's like a horror movie. That's not fun. For this light, momentary affliction. See, what Paul's doing here is he's saying, guys, I don't look at the current circumstance alone. To me, it's the span of a net, as Lewis said. No, I look at the eternal situation. I look at who I'm becoming I look at the destiny, my hope that I have, because you know what we all need? And I, I believe we all need this. We need hope. Don't you need a hope? I mean, come on, don't you get tired of having all your hopes dashed? There seems like, oh, that guy's going to be my hope. And nope, that doesn't work out. That relationship fails. That politician messes up. That, that philosophical idea fails. There's so many things we want to have a hope in. So much stuff we long to have hopes in and they fail us. And yet Paul says, no, we have a hope. We're going to have a hope. And it's found through our suffering. In fact, in, the, in, a, in another letter he writes to the church in Rome, he talks about this idea, this light momentary affliction being something that's powerful for us. He says this. He says, not only that, now that we have this good relationship with God, now that Jesus has mended our relationship with the Father, we rejoice in our own sufferings. What? You rejoice in your suffering? That's ridiculous. Who's rejoicing that you have cancer? Who's rejoicing that you're going through chronic pain? Who's rejoicing that you're suffering? And what you're, he says, no, when you're right with God, we rejoice even in our suffering because we know that the suffering produces endurance. The endurance produces character and the character produces hope. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, you're going to go through suffering. We're all going to go through suffering. And God puts this suffering in our lives because no pain, no gain, right? And we push through the suffering and we push through and that produces this endurance. And one day we look back and we realize, wow, I'm a different person than I was when I started. I would never want to go through it again, but I'm glad for the results. If you've ever said that about yourself, you know that you've grown in suffering. Now, here's the thing. When you've gone into that and you're sitting in traffic and you want to yell and scream and you want to, you want to just take and just beat the steering wheel to death because you're tired of sitting there for one more minute. You're all with me now. But you go, no, no, I'm going to endure through this. God's going to give me the patience. And you take that breath. 
And God meets you there. And suddenly, you know, a year later, you're still, you're still being patient. Now you've forged patience. That patience that's been forged in you through the struggle gives you a hope that, you know what, maybe I can become that person, that character that we've talked about of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and joy. Maybe what God said about me is true. Maybe it's beginning to show up what is already and not yet are merging together because I'm willing to go through it and God's willing to meet me there. You know, it's when you see it and you've gone through that, that horrific situation where your child is struggling and you haven't yelled at them because you realize they're struggling and you're not mad. Or in that situation where your HOA has fined you. Okay, this is my own stuff. And then, uh, but you find your patient, you find compassion, you find that you're caring, you find that though you, your flesh tells you, I don't want to do this. You go, you know, I'm going to do it. And character is formed in you. And a hope is born. A hope that, you know, maybe what God has put into eternity, maybe what he's promised me isn't far-fetched. Maybe what God said about who we are is actually more true than something I'm feeling right now. Take a look at how Paul continues. Verse 18. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal way to glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Now, that sounds silly. That sounds like a leap in the dark. Like, oh, I'm just going to guess. Oh, I trust God. No, listen, look what he says. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you ever realize everything that you see in this room is transient? It's going away. It will burn, disappear, turn into rubble. No street will continue to be named the street it is. No house number will remain the same forever. No person occupying that home will, be the, will stay there that long. Hey, the cars we own today will not be the cars we own in 10 years. Everything that you see is transient in this world. Even if you don't believe in God, that's true. Science has sat down and it's revealed that, hey, you want to know where this whole thing is going? Within the next couple million, hundred million years or so, the sun's going to go supernova and the entire place is going to be cooked. That's if the radiation didn't cook us before that. Not to mention once that happens, there's all kinds of weird stuff that will occur as, that, as the entire solar system starts to change its shaping. Eventually, the entire universe will expand to the place where there is nothing and no matter. It's just all energy. Anything you and I ever thought was permanent is not going to remain. And yet we put our labels and all of our hopes in this span of a gnat. I call myself, this, Dad, I'm, I'm successful. Or, you know, I have to get that money. Oh, I'm worried about next week. Oh, I've got, I've got this. All these labels we've exposed, all these labels we looked at are simply temporary situations of a transient world. They're going to go away. But the eternal world, the one that is permanent, the promises of the God who resurrected Jesus, that doesn't change. God says his word never changes. When he promises you you're forgiven, that's not going to change if you've received Christ. You're forgiven. If he's promised you that you're a citizen of heaven, that's not going to change. It's permanent, sealed in the heavens, away from the transient temporary world. If you need a hope, we can't look for the hope right here. Every hope here disappoints, but the hope of heaven is sealed and secured. 
And so he says, we don't look at the things we see. This stuff is a mist in comparison to the permanence of heaven. And compared to how permanent and solid the rest of eternity will be, we are what is transient. He looks at the eternal things. He looks at those things beyond us. And so I want to challenge us then because if I'm talking to people, to human beings who are not merely just, you're not mortal, you're immortals. The question is, do you know your eternal destiny? Because we need to know it. We need to have it locked in our mind. We need to understand where we're going and what it's going to be like because this is what we're supposed to be focused on. What kind of people will we be like? What kind of world is this going to be? What is God going to do? Because we're all going to shed these bodies. And if you're immortal, something's going to change. So Paul, again, referencing this subject because his body is falling apart and he's aching, starts to talk about his eternal destiny. He says in, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, We know that if this tent, is our, this tent is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not, may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. And he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And right there we just go, wow, Paul, that was a lot. And basically all Paul is doing is saying, look, I know what my destiny is. I know what's going to happen to my body. I know where I'm going. This is why I'm willing to keep doing what I'm doing because I know there's going to be a resurrection because I saw that resurrection face to face. I persecuted that one who was the resurrection and he stopped me personally. And that's a pretty intense thought. That here is Paul who has seen the risen Jesus. He knows what resurrection looks like. And he goes, you know what? I'm so confident now. I too am going to be resurrected. Because he knew what Jesus had said. If you want to know where you're going, listen, Jesus gives us the answer. He says this in John chapter 5. He says, don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Speaking of his own voice. And come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Two different resurrections, but everybody's resurrected. Everyone is going to come back. Good and evil. Yes, Hitler will be back. Mao will be back. These people will be back, resurrected to a judgment, a resurrection of judgment. But which one will you make? Which one will you find yourself in? The resurrection of life or the resurrection of judgment? And a vast majority of people will say, the resurrection of life. And I'll say, well, I'm the pastor, so I have to ask the question, well, Why? Why do you think you're going to make it there? Why, why do you think you'll get to go to heaven and not to the other place and not to hell? Oh, because I'm a good person. Oh, okay. And God's loving. Isn't that what it says? Good people go to the resurrection of life. And God's loving. Well, this is Jesus here. And here's the thing. My question is not so much on whether you're a good person. I could, I could, I could agree with you on that. You probably are a good person. The question is where in the world do you get the idea of a loving God? Go, go, go look at the mythologies. Every mythology in the world. There is not a mythology painted in the whole of history of a God who loves humanity. 
Every Norse god, every ancient god, every Greek god, Roman god, Mesopotamian god, you name it, Aztec god, every god that ever created humanity, created humanity either to be their slaves or they accidentally made us and we were an annoyance. Or we were made by another god to perpetually, to get rid of Zeus or the other gods in a constant cosmic battle. Everything defined gods and humans in conflict. And that makes more sense. Do you know why? You're going to tell me the hurricanes and the earthquakes and the mess in this world is because there's a good loving God out there? They looked at the world and they said, no way, we must be at war with whatever divine beings exist. Where in the world did we come to the idea that God was good except for one story that permeated and grew up in the middle of the Mesopotamian Valley by a group of people called themselves the Hebrews who talked about the God that created humanity not because they, he disliked them or wanted to destroy them or wanted them to be slaves but because he wanted to make something that was like him endow it with power to, to care for the very earth that he created. And in that, he set this trajectory forward where, yes, that group of humanity, that people rejected him, and there was a cosmic battle, but that God still loved them and still cared about them so much so that that God became a human being himself in compassion. Stepping into this world, Jesus, who was God, then goes to a cross to bear the judgment on himself because God loved you and knew there's only one who would be in the good resurrection of life because all of us have done bad. And it was him. And so what he did is he brought all of us along into that resurrection because he loved us if we would simply receive the forgiveness and the work that he did for us. And so no matter how good we were or how bad we were, we were now all in the same problem that we needed somebody to save us. We need somebody to pay for the wrongs that we have committed. We need somebody to make up the difference. And along comes Jesus and says, now, no matter how evil you've been, no matter how great you think you've been, I am here to give you what you need. The resurrection of life. And when his friend John saw Jesus and ate with Jesus three days after he had watched him go through a brutal crucifixion, he wrote about that Jesus. And told us about that resurrection. So do you know where you're going? I understand that destiny that you're headed to. In fact, if you already followed Jesus, do you understand it well enough here that you could name, hey, let's, let's look at this. Maybe you should read a book like Heaven or even understand, go through these texts again that we pointed out in this series to see who, what am I going to be like in eternity? What has God said I'll be like? But all that is important because here's why. Notice how Paul paints this. Look at verse 2 again. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. How many of you guys have an old tent? Anybody have an old tent in here you actually still use? And it's annoying. You know, like it's got holes in it. You got tent pegs missing. Anybody got one of those? You get out your tent, you pull it out, you pull the pole out, and the pole's like half broken and wobbly. It's got duct tape on it because you try to fix it, make sure you didn't buy a new tent. And you, every time you set that tent up, you're just like, I hate this old tent. And you're thinking about the new tent, the better tent. You always are wanting that tent. You know, the one without the holes and the one that actually is nice and light and sleek and every tent, every tent pole works and pegs are there. And hey, it's even rainproof. That would be a great idea. Did you realize every time you long for a better tent, it's because you are comparing it to the messed up tent you've got and it's pointing you forward to the better one? 
And so when you're sitting here and you're groaning about your body wearing down and your body messing up and everything hurting, it is your life groaning for the better, more perfect. It is you longing for the, to receive that which isn't going to groan anymore. Same with our labels. Oh, how many of our labels have we held to here? We said, man, I just wish I had possessions so I wouldn't have to worry about all the finances or stuff. Or I wish my possessions didn't own me because I have them. But oh, I wish that this possession thing, I would just be content. Oh man, I wish I had power. I'm so tired of being disabled. I'm so tired of not having any voice. I'm so tired of thinking that I'm good enough, but I'm not and I know it. And yet all of these things are telling you about what, who you are. Man, I long to be content because one day I will be. Oh, I long to have the power, but I don't need now because I'm going to have it in Christ. This longing is because you're so sick and tired of the mess, you long for the perfect. And what God is telling you is I have the perfect laid up for you. That longing, that mess, I'm such a sinner. It's because you long to be a saint. And if you would just allow the, the, this idea to per, percolate just a little bit longer and realize if I identify the label and it bothers me, you're just longing for the true one that God already called you to in Christ. So don't be afraid to expose those labels because they point you forward because he who prepared us for this very thing, he says, is God who has given you the spirit as a guarantee. You see the changes, the subtle transformations, and it happens as we walk in it. See, we need to walk with God's truth in our eyes. Notice how Paul finishes this thought, talking about this already but not yet existence. He says, so we are of good courage. Not discouraged. Guys, how many of us are just so focused on the mess? You're just getting discouraged. Are we discouraged? No, he says, you don't need to be. We are always of good courage. We are always encouraged. We are always confident moving forward. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Duh, things aren't perfect. Things aren't good. Heaven isn't fully here yet. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please God. And how do you please God? You walk by faith and not by sight. Oh, there's that faith word again. No, stop and think of it this way. You already do this. How do you walk by faith? How do you walk in the confidence of God? If you're married, raise your hand real quick. Or if you've been married, raise your hand real quick. All right, all of us, who've been married, how many of us have dated? Everybody here has dated? Throw your hand up. Okay, so we've all gone in some kind of relationships. Do you remember that first emotional feeling you had, men, ladies or gentlemen, whoever you were, when you were going to approach that person that you wanted that relationship with? Anybody remember that feeling? It's not a very comfortable feeling. You're like, your stomach's turning, your heart is beating, you're wondering 7,000 cheesy, you know, pickup lines are rolling through your head, and you're like, I don't know where to go with this. And finally, you, you, you make that leg, which feels like a billion pounds, move forward. And then you start to move your mouth in the form of words as you introduce yourself. And maybe it wasn't that one. Maybe that one was easy for you. You kind of just met each other. Hi, how are you doing? You remember when you said, I love you for the first time? I don't know anybody who doesn't remember that feeling. I think I'd say it back. Your stomach, again, turns. Your heart's pounding. You're, you're, you're just racing with emotion and confusion and you're just ready. It's just there. Maybe it's when you were going to ask them to marry you. Guys, all of these are built on the confidence of the prior part of the relationships. You see, you were more sure that they were going to ask, they were going to say yes when you asked them because you probably had a little bit of a conversation before that. Right? 
Before that, you probably, uh, you know, you, were, you, you had a good conversation. You knew your relationship was going well, so you were willing to say, I love you. And you had reasonable confidence to say that's called faith. You're not sure, but you have enough confidence to take a step. Now, you may not be sure you can have the patience for the traffic, but you're reasonably confident in God that he's with you, that you can take that step forward. You may not be sure that you are going to be compassionate in the middle of a prayer time with somebody you don't know, but you're reasonably confident God can come and guide you into that confidence, into that compassion, and you take that step. When you take those small little steps, you begin to walk by confidence in God. It's not walk by faith. It's walk by confidence in what you know. You see, people they un- have a lot of unseen about them. I don't see what you think of me. I don't see how you're going to respond to me before you do so. And as I deal with a person, I have to have faith in you. And as you deal with the person of God and he's told you, I've made you these things, we walk by having faith in him, by having confidence, by taking a little step forward. And you know what? It doesn't take a lot. As Jesus said here, look at the second line, I'd say to you, if you have a li- faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to the mountain, move here from to there and it'll move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, what he's saying is all you need is an atomic level of faith. There's the smallest known thing to them was the mustard seed. This is, you need just a small amount. You see, but what's cool about a mustard seed is it grows. And he says, it'll move a mountain. But you know what? Mountains are small, small things compared to depression. Compared to habits of alcoholism and struggles with labels of abuse and worthlessness. But he says, if you will have confidence in my word and who I say you are and the labels I've given you and what I'm telling you and you will take that step of confidence knowing that I'm God and I've sealed in eternity and I don't change. There's no shadow of changing in me. I'll meet you where you're at. One step. One step. And eventually you'll look back and you may not have thought I had met you but you'll have shaped that character in you and you'll change. Stop and think about it for a minute. Why did Jesus choose to lead his followers by wandering around? He was teaching them this world isn't permanent. As his followers were passing through, let's not take our hope and our desires and our dreams and label them from what is transient. Let's label them with what is permanent and eternal. Want to do that with me? Let's move forward in this one step at a time. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, for this uh, passage that you allowed Paul to pen and you gave to us. The confidence that you are trying to pour into our hearts and our lives that we could know you and, and walk with you. Just pray that you would just help us today to apply this in our lives and to begin to put those permanent labels into our hearts that we would trust you one step at a time. One small step as you meet us at a time. Then grow us from there and enable us. Enable us to be exactly what you say we are in the not yet. We trust you. Would guide us in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.
out church drench my soul as mercy and grace unfold I hunger and thirst I hunger and thirst oh. with arms stretched wide I know you hear my cry Speak to me now, speak to me now, I surrender, I surrender, I want to know you more, I want to know you Bow your heads with me. And I just want to talk to those of you who may not come to that place where you have yet followed Jesus, yet you believe in a God who loves. I want to tell you, I really think that you probably are believing in a kind of Jesus. The only God who's known in all the literature to have loved us in the way that he did, that he would give his life for us. He invites you to follow him this morning. He invites you to, to receive what he's done for you on the cross. And so he says, hey, I, I love you. I've given my life for you. Will you receive this, that you would be found in the resurrection of life with me? And so maybe this morning you need to receive that. You haven't yet, or maybe it's been a long time since you've walked with God and walked with Jesus Christ. It's time to renew that. I want to give you a chance to do that. If that's you this morning, you know you need to receive that. I'm just asking you to just put your hand up real quick. You're just telling me that's me. I need to receive that gift from God. And I, I want to start following Jesus. If that's you in this here this morning, just let me know. Just put your hand up real quick. And I want to walk you through a prayer, just a way of, of doing that. And prayer is just simple. It just starts off with, God, I know that I've, I've, I've sinned and that I need you. I know our relationship is broken. And I know that you love me. So I ask that you take my sin and put it on Christ. And I choose to receive from you the gift 
that you've given me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me what I need to be with you. Would you please come into my life and lead me from here? In Jesus' name, amen.